DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Time to bring in Riley Nelson, BYU football radio analyst. Riley, good morning. Good morning. So uh, I ended our call last week by, you know, thanking PK for being the family therapist for Cougar Nation. I bet he's been working overtime this last week. <laughs> Nonstop, man. Putting in the extra hours. It's been a real grind. I know. I know I have, and I am not qualified nor willing to, to play that role, but uh, it's, been a, it's been an interesting week as, as the Cougars sit at the half point of the season. Do you get more complaints, or do you get people more people with suggestions about what needs to be done? Yes, yeah, suggestions, but even just searching for answers. I think, you know, BYU's been in independence long enough, and people have become aware enough of the dynamics around the program that that have set them up for the challenges that they're experiencing and and people are willing enough to acknowledge those and not think that they have the answers and it's kind of more just searching they're just searching for whatever answer or however we can you know fix this state of limbo or or you know some would say even purgatory that that the BYU football program finds themselves in and I kind of my kind of knee-jerk reaction is to take the same approach you have to take as a player, which is you have, the only way you turn this around is week by week, practice by practice, getting better and better, and then hopefully these close losses turn into close wins, and then as you pile up close wins, they turn into more convincing wins. But it's been a it's been a few years, you know, a few too many seasons for people. They're starting to maybe lose sight of a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, it seems like man, there's a dark cloud. And that dark cloud has been there since the day uh, that they announced Utah was going to the Pac-12. And there's been some good moments. But you take just this year, for example. There's been some good moments this year. But there's just some pull your head out, or your hair out, I mean, uh, just moments that just drive you nuts. And then they've had some injuries. It's like a slew of things that can't transpire against them have and then they walk away with a couple of losses that are just so frustrating I'm just wondering how much of it is what's the attitude that's in the program do you wonder do the guys start to think oh no here we go again yeah that was uh, in my post game comments uh, we were as you can imagine Kalani was trying to get out of there and or post game not comments, but my one post-game question I had to Coach Sitaki is, you know, they were trying to get out of there and with, for the long flight home, but it was, how do you combat this becoming acceptable or guys giving into this? Because I've, I've been on teams over the course of my entire football career, you know, from Little League um, on up where you experience some adversity. Those excuses give you a pretty easy justification to just kind of become apathetic to – to your fate and you still go out and you still practice it, but you're, you're kind of going through the motions and it's emotionless. And then when you do experience tough losses, like they do on Saturday, it, it doesn't hurt. It doesn't sting. You're just kind of like, you just kind of accept it. And that is an extremely dangerous place to be in as a football team for an individual season, but also as a program. And you, you are right. I, that is there. I mean, that's there. That's there for anybody. Is that complacency and that acceptance of mediocrity, and it can set in quickly. Only after a couple of games, it takes some really strong leadership from, uh, you know, up and down the stack, from the administration to the coaches to, of course, you know, the individual players in the 
uh, in the locker room, but also in the individual position groups. So it's something if if I were down there, I'd be extremely leery of and trying to, you know, fight against every day, every practice, every rep. Because once that sets in, it's really hard to to turn it back around and get guys believing again. Riley Nelson joining us. You know, it's uh, there's a lot of things to discuss here, but when I look at Kalani's four years and I look at quarterback injuries, the wins follow them pretty precisely. In 2016, he played one quarterback all year, and they won nine games. The next year, they played four quarterbacks, and they won four. This year, they're playing three. It looks like they're on track for, I don't know how it'll shake out, five, six, seven wins, somewhere in there. And last year, they played a couple quarterbacks, and they were seven and six. Is it really as simple as that key position, that leader, keeping him healthy? Because it seems like the more quarterbacks they play, every time they play another quarterback, it costs them another win or two. No question. I definitely think that. I mean, and you mentioned in the Kalani era, and it was going on in the in the Bronco era before that for for a number of years. Um, you know, to, I probably started that trend as far as uh, getting injured, but uh, you know, Taysom obviously dealt with his his share that's been well publicized and that spilled or that straddled the Bronco and the Kalani era and it's been a constant struggle for Kalani but you know I I look at Zach Wilson's injury and it's really hard I I look at Zach's and I think all right how could that have been avoided well in the NFL when a guy that has a hundred that is a hundred million dollar asset doesn't go and chase down, maybe chase down a, a guy on an interception. Everybody kind of gets it because money is what talks in the NFL. But in college football, if you have a quarterback who does not chase down uh, a defender and try and make a play after he throws an interception, that's that's a guy who is not probably not fit to lead your team and, and will lose the confidence of his teammates. So, all right, Zach did what he was supposed to do. He chased down a guy after an interception. He made a tackle. The guy happened to land wrong on his thumb. So I, I don't know what to do there. And then Jaron Hall got put in a tough situation in that he needed to be out there kind of exposing himself to, to some hits in order for that offense to be successful because that was the only thing they had going for him and keeping, for, keeping him in the game were his legs. So, um, you know, and, and we can kind of go through the previous injuries. Tanner Mangum was probably a combination of uh, the O-line probably wasn't up to snuff, and he's a little bit less of a mobile guy, a little bit more of a sitting target for defenses. So it's a little bit different formula depending on who the player is out there. But uh, you're, I think you're right, DJ. If they can figure that out, that'll be the first thing. Now, that won't so- solve all their problems. They're still bottom 10 in rush defense. And, I mean, you look at that the second half of that South Florida game, it wasn't even a thought in the second half for South Florida to come out and throw the football. And when when teams can get one-dimensional, it's so funny because most defenses are like, ah, we'll force them to be one-dimensional, and, and like that's a good thing. Well, offenses against this BYU defense have been able to be one-dimensional and be successful, and and that, uh, you know, is, is a serious issue. So, But shoring up the quarterback injuries, getting more consistency out of that position, and, and when I say consistency, I mean health, right? Keeping that position more healthy is one minor step, but the the issues that are that have produced this two and four record thus far the season extend beyond that. And in these two losses, I think they've been outscored twenty seven to zero in the fourth quarter. 
So you've got some defensive issues, but the offense has moved the ball and has an opportunity to get down there and then can't punch it in. So, you know, we can complain about all these other different things, but they were in position right there to get the job done, and they're not. What needs to happen to be able to get that job done and not have these disastrous fourth quarters? I would try and find a psychologist. My my knee-jerk reaction would be to tattoo the word finish on everybody's forehead. Because you just mentioned two aspects of finishing that are not getting done. They're not finishing football games because they're not performing in the in the fourth quarter. And you break it down even further to that, they're having trouble finishing drives. Really on both sides of the ball, you mentioned that the struggles in the red zone or the scoring zone when they get you know inside the 30 and that's kind of field goal range for them. So the 20 is bad, inside the 30 is bad as well. And, but on the other side of the ball, teams have been able to, once they get in there, have been able to punch it in at a very successful clip. So however you, whatever mind tricks you got to do or to get that concept of, of finishing, um, finishing drives, finishing quarters, finishing halves, and finishing football games, that is priority number one. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's a hard thing to do because that's something that takes, uh, you know, we talked about uh, losing can become a habit. Well, winning can become a habit and finishing can become a habit. When you are not comfortable with how to finish games in the fourth quarter, there's on teams that have, like you said, the last two games, twenty-seven and zero or twenty-seven to nothing, scoring in the fourth quarter, you go into this next game against Boise, and let's say it's close in the fourth, the fourth quarter. The psychology is, unless you do things to prevent it, the psychology is pretty much everybody's waiting around at the first sign of trouble, and when the first sign of trouble sets in, maybe it's a three and out, maybe it's a turnover, maybe it's giving up a big play. It's the entire, even though no one will admit it. Over, admit it overtly or admit it consciously, the subconscious thought is, oh, here we go again. So they've got a lot of work to do on the field. They've got a lot of work to do, I think, between the ears there. But but the nice thing is they've got six more opportunities to do that and turn it around. I am not a doomsdayer. I do think, you know, they still have uh, – um, it's going to be tough. These first couple of games, obviously, with Boise and – and uh, Utah State, and then obviously San Diego State looming. That's kind of the creme de la creme of the Mountain West. But those are teams that BYU, I think, has the talent in spite of injuries to at least compete with. And if they can get over some of these, uh, I call them, you know, mental toughness issues, uh, then I think they can have a little bit more success than they did in the first half. So I'm curious what you think, and I, I think we know where you're going with this. Boise State's got two running backs who are averaging five yards a carry or more. Are the Broncos just going to come in, and they looks like they got a quarterback injury of their own, and just study diet of the run game right from the get-go until BYU figures it out? Most definitely. You know, I, uh, I couldn't st- We were on the East Coast, and the Boise game was a 10-30 start over there, and I had an early flight, so I didn't stay up to watch most of it. But when I got up the next morning and I was checking through, I saw Bachmeyer got hurt. My first thought was like, okay, well, you never want to see a player hurt, but this opens up an opportunity for, B- for BYU. And then you kind of look down and you see the two running backs, and you're, you think, oh man, it's you know it's not going to put much pressure on the backup quarterback. Boise's going to come in with a steady diet of the run, and then you look, and the backup quarterback came in, finished the game, completing eighty percent of his passes, and he threw for three touchdowns. And so there might not be that much of a drop off 
from number one to number two there at the quarterback position. But, yeah, I mean, similar to South Florida, Boise's in a position where they may have an unproven backup quarterback, but he was a guy who produced probably has a better skill set than the team from South Florida. But both Toledo and South Florida completely scrapped any attempt at a passing game in the second halves of both of those football games and was able to come from behind and win them both. So I don't imagine Boise's going to try and do anything cute or anything different. They're going to come in, start the game off, hitting it, hitting them in the mouth and running it down their throat, and they're going to, I think, try and continue to do that for all four quarters. If I'm, if I'm BYU and I'm on that team and I'm on that defense, you know that's happening, so what are you going to do to prevent it? What are you going to do to change the narrative around you? What are you going to do to salvage your pride, salvage your you know, standing as a football player and not allow Boise to do that and force them to do something different. Because if you allow them to do the same, it's going to get ugly and get ugly quickly. Do you think that the administration and even beyond that to the folks who run the school in Salt Lake need to make a greater commitment, whatever that entails, to BYU winning football games? Uh I do, but uh, similar. Uh, I'm going to do another disclaimer. My disclaimer last week was I'm not in the I'm not in the locker room, so I don't know everything that's going on between the players and coaches. Similar disclaimer here. I don't know all the dynamics in play. I mean, I hear things like like all of us do about how the relationship between the church and the university works, and the relationship between the university and the athletic department work, and all those things. But it's all hearsay. Um, it's uh, I think everybody's pretty tight-lipped. It's a private university. They don't they don't disclose much. They don't have to disclose much. But the short answer to your question is is yes. As you look around the landscape of college football, if they want to be successful at the level that they've been successful in the past, it's going to require greater commitment because it is a it is an utter arms race. And BYU is is fall, in the state of college football from everything from what you're from coaching staffs and what you're paying them from the resources that you allocate to recruiting to the facilities that you use to uh, attract and retain those recruits once that once they're on to ancillary services like nutritionists and and special you know weight training and speed coaches and BYU ha- has all those things but they kind of have the minimum acceptable standard of all those things and the teams that are having successful or that are having success are going uh, above and beyond and so I, there does need to be a, a greater commitment. Now, actually um, putting that forth, uh, I, d- I don't know what that entails, and I also don't know what the likelihood uh, of it is. Riley Nelson joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. So at the end of the day, if we end this up where you started, uh, what, is the, what do you tell all these people when you're providing the therapy sessions? If you boil it down into a nutshell, how do you summarize it? Yeah, that first of all, not all is lost for this season. I mean, you can acknowledge. First of all, I think you do have to acknowledge and be honest about what's happened, and that's that from the guys that were slated as starters uh, coming through fall camp, the the brutal, honest. Uh, question of it is that we're missing six or seven of those guys, including you know key positions like quarterback and running back. So uh, there's that, but you can't expect it. You can't um, use that as an excuse. The team, I tell the team's still being competitive. If they can get out of their own way in a couple aspects of the game, these are close games. It's not like they're getting dominated week after week, and so there's still hope for them to turn it around and. Then my thing is just, 
you gotta you gotta compartmentalize, right? Take it game by game, or just like get to the end of the season and don't, and, and then see what happens. Because none of us as fans and followers are in control of what happens. Who you know who keeps their who keeps their job at any level. When I say that, I mean from you know from the nose tackles, linebackers, running backs, wide receivers, and all the way up the stack within the program and the administration. You you. As much as it, I guess it's fun, and we all need something to talk about on Twitter and spe- and speculate <laughs> about. But I'm a guy that that's kind of some wasted energy because circumstances can change so much from week to week. I mean, look at this team two weeks ago. Everybody's feeling really good about themselves. Actually, three because there was a buy in there. But um, you know, hey, we're two and two. Everybody thought we were going to go like one and three or zero oh and four. So I'm feeling pretty good. And now here we are. That man, BYU should. Get rid of the program because we're never going to be competitive again, and just try and avoid hysteria and take it week to week. And then ultimately, the fans that get really disheartened, I say, "Well, why are you a fan? Are you a fair weather fan who only likes them if they're going to be, you know, winning every year and and gaining national notoriety, or can you be a fan who sticks with it because you're invested in the university, invested in the players, and are going to support them come rain or shine?" So that's kind of my little. That that and look, I don't charge much for that. <laughs> I, my, my my rates only like a hundred, hundred twenty five an hour, depending. And uh, it, you know, if so, take that for what it's worth. Well, as we end this interview, Riley, in recognition of the Democratic debates, what do you think of George Bush's relationship with Ellen? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think it's a great thing. I, I, I don't know. I was way more, as a Packers fan, I was way more interested and invested on what was going on between the sidelines than, <laughs> than all that hullabaloo. So I was glad Aaron Jones was able to, to get that. And I, by the way, for those who watch the Monday Night Football game, I think the NFL's out there just handing the Packers wins. You can't have your hands up and around. So first of all, it was great to see Aaron Jones and the run game and all that. At get going against the Cowboys and then close win against Lions, which I think was deserved. Others would say it was handed to him. You can't have your hands up around the face or neck of a player. And I know he was grabbing his shoulder pads, but his hand was in against his neck. And any t- that's playing with fires. So it was good to see Aaron and the boys. Jamal came back from injury, had a nice breakout. And uh, so the Packers were back on track. And if George and Ellen want to be up in the booth, at laughing, eating popcorn, watching the Packers take it to the Cowboys at home. I'm all for it. <laughs> Me too. As long as the Packers take it to the Cowboys. <laughs> all right, Riley, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Have a good day, guys.